0: There are a few things as successful at bringing communities together as football, especially globally. What began centuries ago in a much more primitive fashion is now a game cherished worldwide, which both circulates billions of pounds and attracts millions of fans throughout the professionally established leagues. And yet, even for those who make the game into a career, the beginning of that path was the same for us all. An undersized might have ran football, a tennis ball, or maybe an orange. If it was round and you could kick it, then you could score a goal, celebrate like mad, and picture yourself lifting that trophy. Football is quite simply the world's universal language. For most, the obsession grows rapidly from the beginning, fueled by family, friends at school, and the limelight showered on the professional game through the media. Whether that's playing the beautiful game or simply discussing it with a group of mates, all of the above was certainly the case for us.
1: hello and welcome to the first episode blazers for goalposts a podcast where a bunch of football crazy englishmen and ex schoolmates are reuniting after nearly 10 years to relive our footballing memories from the past and discuss all the latest news from today's game now obviously we're all living in the era of coronavirus at the moment so there's not that much to discuss from today's game but we'll give it a try but anyway Without further ado, let's introduce ourselves and first of all I'd like to head over to Mr Yoni Gordon-Teller.
2: I'm Mr Yoni (laughs) Gordon-Teller, I support Arsenal and I'm very happy to be here. I think sort of my earliest football memory or the time that I got into it was around the World Cup in 2002. I joined a new school in the summer term of that year and my first morning that I just remember, everyone had these panini sticker albums and we were filling them with sort of photos of people I had no idea who they were, um, and realised quite quickly that if I wanted to be a part of a friendship group at seven years old in this new school, then I probably have to get into football, and it kind of stemmed from there. Um, I also remember around that time uh, they had the early kickoffs at the World Cup for us, so we would go to school get in at 7am or something. I think England's had two early games. There's one against Nigeria, one against Brazil, and we watched them kind of as a school together. I think that was also quite um, formative in like garnering some kind of appreciation of the community of football um, to be supporting together and watching England together.
1: Nice. Next up, it's Billy (laughs) Proudlock.
3: That's me. So I'm a long-suffering Sunderland fan. I think one of my earliest football memories uh, was, pro- well, I've always liked football, but in terms of, sort of being converted to a fan of the wider games, it's probably when my uncle got wind of the fact that I was that li- obviously, I live in North London, but he heard rumours that I might have been flirting or supporting a North London team. And my uncle, who lives in Sunderland, did not appreciate that. So the next time we went up to visit, he took me and my brother around the Stadium of Light gave us a real talk of the history, took us into the club shop, bought us both Southern uh, tops with, I had Phillips on the back and my brother had Quinn and then he sold us the dream and I've been a Southern fan ever since then.
0: Okay, so he he bribed you.
3: Some might say that. I'd say he sold me a dream.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Well,
1: next up we've got a man who shares a name with a former Premier League footballer. It's, It's John Walters.
4: I thought you were about to say Archie Patch. <laughs> yeah, so I'm an Arsenal fan. I grew up in Highbury, so very close to the um, Arsenal, both the Arsenal stadiums. So I kind of weirdly grew always grew up with Arsenal. And I, I always used to go to like the junior uh, summer camps and stuff like that. So even before I knew what, you know, Arsenal really was in a weird way, I remember going to the club shop and... Asking to get David Beckham out of the back on the back of my <laughs> shirt, and uh, in the end I got Burkamp and he's my all-time favourite player. So yeah, I suppose that would be my earliest memory of um, football screwing up in a club shop. But uh, many more stories like those to come.
1: Right. Archie Patch, you're next. Yeah, hello.
5: Um, I'm an Arsenal fan as well, but I think my first um, football memories was uh, thinking that Umbro was a team and uh, <laughs> demanding. <laughs> Good morning, my mum got me an umbrush shirt. um mostly because I was obsessed with Michael Owen back in like nineteen ninety eight when he burst onto the scene. Um I used to always wanted to get my hair cut like Michael Owen and we'd go into the fathers and I always come out looking like Timmy from South Park. <laughs> 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 um, but yeah, I think yeah, Michael Owen was when I first became sort of a real football fan. I was just a fan of his before anything else and then uh, it sort of developed into the uh insatiable appetite that I have for it now.
1: Nice. Well, I suppose I should introduce myself now. My name is Joe Alexander and I'm pleased to say, well, I don't know if I'm pleased to say this, but I'm a Spurs fan and I think I'm the only Spurs fan here for the time being. So, you know, it was a bit like at school, actually. There weren't there weren't many of us, um, but, you know, someone has to do it. So I was a Spurs fan <laughs> and I think my, well, when fo- when I started falling in love with football was when I was about five years old. And I was, I was lucky enough that my grandfather was a footballer and um, it was a football manager. And I think it was when, when I kind of actually understood that he was a footballer, when I first kind of realized that, that was when it really excited me. And yeah, ever since I've been obsessed with it, probably too obsessed with it, but that's me. So that's me. And now finally, we've got Kytel Frankel. Yeah,
0: hey everyone, Kaitel, you might hear people calling me Kai. Um, I'm actually the only one from this group right now not living in England. So you're, you're from sunny, sunny California, albeit my my studio apartment. But um, I am an Arsenal fan. I remember when I was much younger, before I had a team, before I even liked football, I would play with my mates at school at break uh, with like a little tennis ball, and I just ended up having like kind of a natural talent for it. It turned out that my closest mates were Arsenal fans, so. Once I started taking it seriously, that was the club I took more seriously. And it was only after I kind of became a fan through them that I realised that my dad was a Spurs fan. Not a very big one, but like that just shows you how much of an influence football had in my house. So it was really like an outward thing that um, attracted me in the first place. Nice. Well,
1: now we know that Kaitel should have been a Tottenham fan. Oh, well, <laughs> you know, it's a shame we never got you, Kai, but we'll move on. I mean, I guess the thing you can take from that is we all went to school with each other and we, we all love football. So that that is us. That is the Blazers for goalpost team. Now, I mean, we're serious in the fact that we all went to school with each other. But we, you know, we 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 catch up a bit. But it's it's been a while. So not only has it been a while, but we're living. Well, we're living isolation in coronavirus. So really, guys, I just want to check how how are you getting on in this bizarre time? I don't know who wants to. Kickstarted, but it re- it really is a bizarre time at
3: the moment. You're right; it is a it is a weird time, especially for me, because uh, I've had to move out, so I'm living in the house of someone uh, one of the friends of my mum. So this house that I'm staying in, spending all this time in, isn't actually mine. So it's a bit of a weird one for me. But to make the <laughs> time pass, the to make is the, the, the time so pass, I've just been it's not as smash Netflix and smash. It's so nice you can see it behind me. It's lovely, but it's not mine. So I've just been passing time, smashing through Netflix and getting through some FIFA
0: as well. Um, I personally have been doing all right. I think from the looks of things, we're all doing all right. So that's nice. Um, I've been compensating for the lack of like live football at my disposal on TV or albeit whatever. So I've been playing more by myself. Not in that way. <laughs> <laughs> in my apartment. Well, I think we've, we've be all been sure doing around. a
4: bit more of that
0: i think well that's not even so i've been juggling a, a lot, trying to practice some skills and improve some skills that i used to have when i was a kid and trying to learn some new ones i don't know if you guys have taken up any athletic related hobbies creative related hobbies et cetera, et cetera.
5: yeah i'm trying to i'm trying to learn how to skip like properly like a boxer and it's uh yeah it's a, i mean it's a lot harder than it looks i'm aiming to be floyd Mayweather by the end of it but at the moment i'm more of that sort of Playground uh, hopscotch kind of vibes, but you know I'm getting there. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you can't read but you can.
5: Yeah, well, I can. Yeah, I, I think I'm like all right at it. I'm not. Like, I'm not starting from like a completely basic level, but it is a bit tricky, and I mean it is tiring as well. So just got a bit more work to do on that. Uh, in terms of like other hobbies, you know, I have downloaded Football Manager, um, nice taking yeah, definitely back
4: to the big but after the free period. Did you see that?
5: I did it before the free period because I'm a proper fan, John.
4: Oh, uh, <laughs> right, fair. Proper manager. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Proper
5: gaffer. Um, so yeah, now that's also obviously consuming a lot of my time. No.
1: <laughs> well, it's good that it's good that people are learning new hobbies. Archie's skipping. I mean, like, Keitel hasn't mentioned it, but I know. <laughs> but, uh, uh, not Archie. Keitel is doing a, a lot of um, kick ups and skills on his Instagram. So. Yeah, appreciating that. In, in fairness, Kai, you're quite good. So who knows, maybe we've got a future freestyle there amongst us, and a future influencer maybe. And then- uh, I guess we've kind of spoken about this a bit, but <laughs> given that we're essentially we're here to talk about football, how is everybody coping with the fact that there is no football on at the moment, really for the first time in our lives, where it's just stopped and we don't really know when it's going to continue? I mean, it's, it's weird. How are people feeling about this?
2: I think I've realized sort of how much football I watch in a way that is slightly scary. But it takes up a lot of time. I mean, football games are long. You can spend the weekend watching four or five games. And that's, you know, like up to 10 hours of your time. And without that, the kind of structure of a weekend disappears a bit. And it's also nice in midweek to have a game to, like, come home from work to see or one you've been looking forward to. And now it's not there; it's sort of that is how long i spend watching it and what do i do when it's not there absolutely
0: as fans of clubs who i don't think any of us who support any of the teams that follow were in mind for silverware this season in some ways it's probably been kind of nice because arsenal are a bit rubbish and so like postponing the end to a bad season that we were having doesn't upset me as much as like probably liverpool fans right now i know spurs likewise joe you could speak on that but I don't know. Like, yeah, it's it's not been good.
1: I mean, Billy for Sunderland. I mean, you're not you, you. weren't even in the running for getting promoted this
3: season, were you? No, no, we weren't. It's been a really miserable time to be to be honest. But I am, am I missing football? Not not massively. I mean, I am missing. Like, I've got a gap in the diary on the weekends. But one thing that I really am fed up of is this whole debate about whether Liverpool should. Uh, Win the league or not, whether well, they should be in the league. If I hear one more argument about that, I'm going to be fuming
5: Yeah, but what's your opinion? I,
3: I just don't. I just don't care. <laughs> no one <laughs> say anything that I haven't already heard. I mean, it's unprecedented times. So no one's going to be happy either way. I mean, who really cares? It's, it's insignificant in the grand scheme of things.
5: I think well, a lot of people care. Liverpool fans, including
4: <laughs>
3: <laughs> apart from, apart from Liverpool fans, who really cares?
4: Yeah, no. I mean, it would be funny, like. It would be funny. I know the financial cost of it, the ramifications, everything's gonna have to go to court, but it would just be really funny, wouldn't
3: it? Ripple <laughs> <If football> don't <laughs> win, yeah. yeah would it be really would be funny. Fun. <laughs> nice. um, it's not my money.
0: Now that you know a little bit about us, let's get back to the matter at hand, this podcast. Each episode will be themed. The theme will relate to our footballing past, today's game, and we'll put a bunch in between. Uh, on to you, Joe.
1: Nice. Well, Kytel's just explained, every episode will have a theme. And I can reveal now that our first episode's theme is cup football. It's It's all about cup football. So we're going to start this episode, well, this theme off by discussing a type of cup football that I think it's fair to say was fairly important to all of us when we were a bit younger at school we happened to go to and that was house football so what I'm going to do now is ask the the rest of the guys in the podcast before we even go into house football what is a house and I will just give a quick a quick spoiler that it's very Harry Potter-esque and I suppose it's not a surprise when you consider the fact we all attended a school that was founded in 1565 and has many traditions amongst a certain group of schools. So I don't know who wants to to kick this off, but what what is a house?
4: Bricks, mortar.
1: That's true. (laughs) That that is a certain type of house. But in this situation, what (laughs) what are we saying? What is is a house?
2: Well, I think there is the difference between this and Harry Potter houses in that, as far as I know anyway, we weren't decide- it wasn't decided which houses we were in by kind of contents of our character. It was more just by geographical location that our parents happened to buy a house in at a point in their lives. So we were kind of divided up in year groups by where we lived, which I guess has a parallel to kind of international football where you don't really get to choose who your teammates are, or who your housemates are. It's just luck of the draw. Um, and that I think did lend from a football context anyway, certain houses greater strength and strength and depth than other houses. Um, but we'll probably come on to that.
1: We will indeed. It, I I think, as Yoni said, it's true that the houses, they were they were literally decided by your postcode. And it just so happens in our year, I guess, that there would be certain postcodes in London where people who were good at football would live. <laughs> and there would be other postcodes where people weren't so good at football. Um, I mean... I guess it's another question to the group, but why? Why did house make to football? Why? Why did these houses play football against each other? I mean, I think it's because, as a
5: whole, as a rule, like the divisions were to sort of um, fuel a competitive spirit and sort of a bit of camaraderie within those different groups. I think without the house system, you know, it would become a bit of a sort of large mess in terms of just grouping people up and for you know for the teachers themselves like organizationally they were just able to sort of um pick people out by what house they're in as well i mean yanni mentioned that it wasn't really anything to do with character i'd probably have to disagree with that i think some of the real low lives came from yanni's house <laughs>
1: <laughs> we've got two of them on, on the podcast yeah,
5: yeah exactly has um, a name any names here Archie, or are you just gonna <laughs> nah. substitute us no, I think, I think the main thing was that it did sort of, it just encouraged a bit more sort of it, like a bit of competitive spirit. It just kind of made the school environment a bit more fun in a way because um, you could kind of needle each other based off that alone um, amongst everything else.
0: I think on top of that, beyond how we've mentioned the logistics of just like basically this was how we organized ourselves in the mornings when we came to school, you would go to your house room and you would do registration with the people in your house and you would have a house meeting once or twice a week, etc. etc. It was a way to disseminate information from the school to the kids, take account of the fact that we were there, and just split it up and not have to literally count a thousand kids at once, basically. Beyond that though, the reason we really played the house football games was that there was a house cup. And these games um, there was a house football cup within the house football, but depending on how many points you could earn through house football, that would contribute to the bigger picture of the house cup, which was just like a school-wide competition. And I think that they tried to balance where you could get house points across the board, but for the most part, the biggest interest was the was the house football.
3: It was
1: the big one for sure. I think for certainly everyone here, how, how, you you wanted to win that. That was
0: the the championship. Yeah. Oh, school again going back to Harry Potter like it's the Quidditch World Cup it's the Triwizard tournament you yeah, won it that was there Archie you've won it right
5: yeah you I won it three, time, it three times you three
3: times yeah. you say
0: three times
3: three times yeah uh, <laughs> I, won it. I won it I won it twice I won it twice yes. I was going to
0: say that's three times more than any of us okay so Billy you've won it twice and Yanni you've won it once once okay so between the two of you you've won it as many times as Archie i've never <laughs> won it no of course we haven't won it john <laughs> we were all in British houses <laughs> yeah. I mean,
2: yeah. this is this yeah. is the point this yeah. is the point about the distribution of talent which you know <laughs> it's it's I not really fair want, but...
5: i think Queensgate was a real lamazia um
1: the Lam- <laughs> 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 every, Queens, Queensgate was the house though that everybody hated if you weren't in it that was like that you, you were the Man United of the, um, the house system I mean the Man United yeah, of the yeah. time when we were at school but I think what would, would everyone else say on the call was, was Queensgate public enemy number one would you say?
0: Yeah yeah. <laughs>
4: yeah. I mean obviously we wanted to beat them like but you just couldn't but we just couldn't no, no. no they, they definitely
0: were because it, it was Archie and Joe and Nick Landsberg and oh, um, Joe is Archie's brother, who might actually be joining us in a bit. We'll see. Yeah. We'll see what happens. But the, there were some very, you know, a wealth, an abundance of talented footballers. And do that don't
5: forget him.
0: Let's, let's not, Yeah, I don't want to disrespect uh, Appleoizu's name. Um, <laughs> <but> he, <laughs> he was a good player, and he got better, I think, as time went on. So your team, if anything, just got stronger and stronger as we got older. I think, and th-
1: th- th- this is an important point about house football is that the difference between playing school football in the team, football was school football would be a thing where you'd maybe go to a trial and then there'd be an A team, a B team, a C team and yeah, you'd have the best players in the A's, blah, blah, blah. But house football was pretty amazing because it was literally everybody. It, everyone in your year at school would, every, probably everybody in our year who was a guy has at some point played in a house football game. Is that, is that fair to say?
0: Absolutely.
5: Yeah. Absolutely,
0: um, yeah. If you know the analogy or of, you know, like putting square pegs into round holes, <laughs> like that is, as, uh, on top of that, it's like when you, you pick the teams at break time and, you know, you pick two captains and it's like, all right, I want you, I want you, and then you're, you know, whittling down to like the last picks. It's like you had like two or three last picks in each house <laughs> made yeah. up, made up like positions in the team. So it was just I mean, sometimes they
5: weren't even squares. They were just shapeless.
0: <laughs> yeah it's like trying to put out a house fire by blowing on it some of these people <laughs> so yeah it was um i'm trying to remember in particular i think you know just the way football goes typically if you're trying to chuck someone like a physical just a body in there they end up often in defense because you know when you're a kid that's typically the place people don't want to play so the people who are better make sure they don't play there and then they shove the people there so the back lines were just like you know what what is it is it a uh, to think of like a defense that gets like a bad reputation these days in like world football but um, arsenal's. Yeah, arsenals for instance it would be very very generous to even begin to compare a backline of a house football team to, to arsenal's backline obviously but the point is basically half the people didn't know how to play football in these games
5: <laughs> <laughs> yeah but sometimes that works you know because also i mean 2006 that champions league run with Flamini at left back, Sender Ross at, at centre-back. And that's, when, that's where House comes, comes into its own. You know, People just find a new level. I mean, again, I'm going to make a reference to someone who, actually, to be fair, he's, he's actually a very well-known journalist, Henry Zeffman. Hey,
4: He Now he's got Wikipedia.
5: Yeah, and he played up top and was like Pippo and Zaggy. Score goals. <laughs> I like, do remember
0: in, him being a goal-hanger.
5: <laughs> yeah, That's yeah, it, it I don't
0: Remember the offside rule not being as enforced as hard as it could have been in house football, and VAR did not exist back then. So I will definitely attest to the fact that Henry Zeffman stood in front of the goalkeeper and kicked the ball into the net every now and then when it was near him. This is true.
4: Yeah, yeah. So you were talking about Queensgate domination. Yeah, Which go and- on, John. Like <laughs> uh, Kingsgate was like. We had team spirit, but our squad ability didn't match the team spirit. So everyone like tried really hard, but it just always yeah, but, collapsed in
0: the yeah, final Talking all about too. all of these, uh, these houses and stuff, should we, should we go through the houses and kind of like some of the names of the the houses? Because it wasn't, Buff Buff. I mean, the listeners are going to notice a pattern pretty pretty quickly. I don't know if uh, maybe let's say, uh, Billy, do you want to give that one a go?
3: I uh, list all of them.
0: Yeah, twelve houses, Billy. That's
3: the oh, yeah, challenge.
0: Each, each person list two, list two, and then pass it off to somebody else. So, Billy, go go and name two.
3: So I was in Fargate, and we then we've got uh, we'll go for Westgate. <laughs> okay,
0: now Archie.
3: <laughs> no, that's three.
0: No, he said Fargate and Westgate. No, it was two, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> all right, Archie, you're not Fargate, yeah. not
5: Westgate. Yeah, uh, three, and then we had um. Um, <laughs>
0: Northgate. All right. Uh... <laughs> all right.
2: So Yanni. Um, Southgate and Eastgate. We've got all the north, east, south, and
1: west. We ticked them off, so that's good. All right, and then John.
2: Is it Kingsgate,
4: and is there any there? Yeah. Is yeah. a... there Schoolhouse. The right Schoolhouse.
0: Like, four or five more.
4: Schoolhouse, motherfucker.
0: All right. So, schoolhouse, for instance, is like one of the more interesting names because it's involving a direction and the word gate. Um,
4: yeah, it's for everyone so, that was lives in the middle of nowhere, wasn't it? Like,
0: uh, no, I think what? it was like. I wasn't too far away from from Highgate, but Joe, what what can you add?
1: Well, I've got I've got a name, Heathgate, as that was the house I was in.
0: And then has Midgate been mentioned yet? No. Uh, actually, I believe only two houses left for me to name And I've been writing them all down So by process of elimination My house Gr- Grindle House uh, <laughs> Gryffindor is called, Yeah, pretty much Gryffindor And then another house with a pretty good name The Lodge Oh yeah, The Lodge yeah. Lodge. So, Sounds
4: like a fucking scary film
0: Yes <laughs> Grindle, I think, was involved in like the Beowulf story what? <laughs> like it's definitely, it's definitely like a mythical name.
1: What do you mean it was involved in the Beowulf story? Explain more.
0: Like, <laughs> I think Grindel was either the name of the monster that Beowulf like ended up fighting, or it was like his wife or something. There's probably some people who are into mythology out there who are thinking that I'm being very disrespectful to the story because I know nothing about it. But oh well, the name of the house that I was in was Grindel. So
2: Mr. Waller's um, classics classes didn't really leave that inside impression, did they?
0: <laughs> no, if you were in the classics classes that I was in, and I know that Archie was, there was very little impression of the uh, subject matter that was left on me. But I certainly left an impression on Mr. Waller. We know, we know all the names
1: of the houses now. I mean, what I want to do, I mean, there, there's a few things we can go back to, but I think it would be interesting, actually, just to talk about some of the classic matches that took place, and I've got a few. I've got a few things listed down here, and there's the first thing I want to talk about. Will relate mostly to Billy and Yoni, but I believe that Fargate were the junior house, cut well, house football champions. So that would be for some of the early years of us being at senior school. So Yoni and Billy, how how did you end up winning the? the house cup was it called i don't know. i don't even know what it was called how, how how will fargate victorious talk us about talk to us about that victorious campaign um,
3: i think i remember uh, sitting down with a couple of people joe I is- joe sit was one of them good football when we were at school and um, and we realized that we had a few good players but the thing is that there can only be about 20 people in across two years uh, to make up a squad of uh, you know for 11 a side football so it was quite hard it's quite hard actually getting 11 people together in some cases they're always people that just weren't interested and didn't want to play so we had a few good players we had a few good players in the team um, but we didn't necessarily have fantastic quality so we ended up playing our famous 5-4-1 formation where we just packed the defense <laughs> and then we had Yoni in goal and Somehow, I would put it. I would put our victory up there with Leicester's title win a few years ago. It was really against all the odds. And <laughs> Who did it, you? Beat? It has gone down <laughs> in folklore. Did beat Archie Patches Queensgate in the final. Yeah. No, no, it was a semi-final. That was a semi-final. That was, was, was a semi-final,
5: but it felt like a. We were final a young game. side. We were a young side, just learning back
2: then. So
4: <laughs> <laughs>
2: you've got to fail to to improve. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> No, but it was a bit against the odds and I like, I think we mentioned earlier sort of how there were square pegs or shapeless pegs in round holes in house football and it's kind of like amazing how the myths build on certain players just because you notice something about them or you give them a name. Like I think we had a right back for most of that tournament called Gabriel Speechley in the year below who probably hasn't and hasn't since kicked a football in his life. But because he was vaguely Spanish-looking, no Spanish heritage, just vaguely Spanish-looking, we gave him the nickname Raúl, and from <laughs> there grew this sort of beast of a modern-day fullback that yeah. the likes of Trent Alexander-Arnold could only dream he, of becoming.
1: He grew. Uh, I think that's what the- Daddy Carvajal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
3: I think one of the one of the beauties of house football is yeah, like Yoni said, it creates myths and legends, but it can also lead to some sort funny situations like i remember the penalty shootout i think it was against queensgate where i think all of the first like five or six people that took penalties scored so it ended up getting to the point where we had like eight and nine and ten and eleven uh taking pens to the point where we sort of ran out of people that could actually like kick the ball from the penalty spot to the goal
0: <laughs> <laughs> billy if we're you know not to jump too far off topic and to talk about reaching the goal I think you and I have an ISFA Cup. Speaking of cup football again, game that relates to that story, I missed a penalty, but speaking of not being able to kick a ball as far as the goal, Billy, would you care to speak about your penalty that was saved in that game?
3: I did take an important penalty in a penalty shootout in a cup competition and I did scuff it. I completely scuffed it and it dribbled towards the goalkeeper. It was a game that took place after school and there were quite a few people watching as well which made it even worse but just for the record I converted my penalty in that in the important in the more important games um though the penalty (laughs) that I did miss I did actually the penalty I scored against Queensgate was in the same goal that I missed the penalty in the cup against it was a
4: bit bit of a battle in the mind was it
3: oh yeah yeah it was really good to bury that and move on
0: (laughs) I think um, another unique thing about the house football, besides the mishmash of teams and besides the tournament style, was the logistical setup of Highgate school that we went to, and: the fields we It's on.
1: out in the open. We, 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 we were initially talking about this kind of hypothetical school, but just so everyone's clear, the school we all attended is called Highgate School. So that, from now on, you know.
0: You probably knew already, but there you go. So the campus of the school that was both a senior and a junior school was a good... They they had a good amount of land, and the fields that we used to play on were really spread out and had really unique characteristics depending on where they were. And what I mean by that is... Some of the fields were very flat, some of them were very bumpy, some of them had long grass, some of them had short grass, some of them had a lot of dirt, some of them were really muddy. The goals weren't the same size or make necessarily on these things. And so depending on what pitch you were on, you kind of already had a feeling in your stomach about like what type of game was going to happen. First club is like the the Wembley of, uh, of Highgate, so that was like, you know, you know you're going to be able to pass the ball around, and it's a big field. And you know, if you're a good footballer, you're probably going to have a good game. And then we can kind of speak more of something like Tatham's. Uh, does anyone want to jump in on Tatham's?
5: I mean, there's not much to say about it apart from it's just an ankle breaker of a field. It's,
3: it's yeah, like... and if you if your team was drawn to play on that pitch, it was because your team was terrible. Yeah, <laughs> you say that, but I don't think I've ever played
4: at Tatham's. Ooh. <laughs>
0: Too, too good for Tatum's,
1: Sean, eh? I think, I think... I don't a, know how I've ever played a, at Tatum's. A way to yeah. describe it would be if, um, if England were hosting the World Cup and they, you know, you had, you had Wembley, you had the Spurs Stadium, the Emirates, Old Trafford, blah, blah, blah. Tatum's would be like Fratton Park or something like that. <laughs> like this old shitty stadium that's been there for ages. It's got character, but it's just terrible. <laughs> it was just awful, <laughs> but it was. It, but it was kind of. It was kind of made for for cup football, for house football. It had the bobbly pitch. It kind of. It gave the underdog a
0: chance. It, yeah, it was. Um, it, it was made for house football. It should have been the great equaliser for like a big team. It's a small team. Yeah, it's like you know. It's a you know, Messi's good, but can he do it on a you know cold Wednesday night on tables Yeah, it was. It was oh. awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, and then some of the other pitches, the names were just, I think in keeping with a lot of stuff at this school that we have before mentioned and how they used to like to name parts of the school, the names were not particularly creative. We've already been through the houses, you know, Eastgate, Westgate, Northgate, Southgate. We're talking about First Club. So that was like the first, so it was the best. For instance, Far Field was just referred to as Field because it was far away. And like things like that, they really, uh, really pushed the boat out. At Highgate School. Um,
4: Farfield had terrible pitches at times.
0: They had quite but, yeah. a few of them, though. It
1: yeah, they were like a
4: sandbox. Like. Yeah, it
1: was a, it was a classic house football um, venue as well. I mean, you'd, yeah. have, you'd, you'd have the Eastgate, Northgate last on match of the day, probably on the furthest pitch. <laughs> <ever>. <laughs> yeah.
2: The changing rooms were also awful there. They were. They yeah. were yeah. amazing. Um, I think oh, there's, I there's
0: a couple more memorable good. games maybe that we could. Take a take a microscope to and examine. I'm remembering quite an epic final on first club between Midgate and Queensgate that went to a penalty shootout. In particular,
5: yeah, I mean, I played in that game, and it was the the year after we uh, won it for the second time. So this was to make it three, just make it three. And by that point, the, the the entire school hated our team with so much passion, um, which made it. You know, it was just fuel to the fire for us. You know, we had the whole, or you know, so many people on the sidelines just booing our every touch. Um, and I absolutely loved it. And, it went, and I know it went to penalties. And obviously, you know, every time we stepped up, it was met with a chorus of boos. But I actually um, was taking the deciding penalty and I, I missed it. I mean, it was saved. But then I, I wrote up it, because the keeper had clearly come off his line by quite some distance. And the referee at the time who was our first 11 coach called John Humphreys. I mean, he absolutely loved me. So he was, (laughs) didn't hesitate hesitate to put his uh, whistle to his mouth and and blow for it to be retaken. Whatever. everyone hated us even more. I stepped up, (laughs) slotted it bottom left corner and ran along the touchline flicking V's at everyone. (laughs) I actually had probably my most cherished school memory um basically um <laughs>
4: That's a joke
0: yeah now that you mentioned that i do remember the retaken final penalty and i do remember going through a lot of those emotions of thinking who is this guy although i knew it was you but for the record you know i was like who, who does this guy think he is and um, uh, <laughs> you got away with it mate eh? so uh, <laughs> well done
5: Thank you. Yeah, and yeah, you that's know, just another trophy in the cabinet. So that's all that counts. Friendships didn't, <laughs> honestly, friendships did not matter to me at that point. I would have, I, I think that's the thing, I would have happily sacrificed friendship for that cup.
4: <laughs> I don't Man know. I mean.
5: all over. This, is
1: how, this is how much house football meant, though. It's a good insight into it.
0: You know, this, it was, it was important. Yeah, house football was, I think, um, I can't remember if it was Yanni maybe who referenced uh, international football at one point about like not being able to decide who your your teammates are at that point, you know, there's a strict set of like boundaries that, you know, in that point it's nationality, at this point it's the postcode that we were talking about, but another kind of cool thing that you saw was, I don't know if you guys have seen some of those teams in international football where maybe it's a smaller country and they maybe only have like one or two players in their team, and... Whether or not those players are the playmakers in whatever club they play for, because they are professional, and a lot of the guys who they are playing alongside on their national teams aren't professional, even if they were a centre back, they would play striker for the national team or they would be the playmaker for the national team just because they're that much better and you don't want to waste them in defense. And that was kind of something that was cool about the house football too, was that you would find some of the better players playing out of position, kind of reinventing themselves so that they could put their house on their back and like try to be as successful as possible i'm thinking for instance house like northgate that didn't have so many talented players someone like if we can remember a henry worth like really just like hung out like kind of a, an andrea Pirlo, just deep lying playmaker just like you know spraying the ball blah 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 so you would kind of see some of these um some of these enigmatic characters who had like one or two standout qualities in their game and they would really like have to play a clutch role for their, for their team like a, like a Henry Wirth or a Daniel Lecek like guys who have a good shot
3: I think the comparison with international football is really interesting because you know when there's like a World Cup or the Euros come around uh, when, they, when, those tournaments, when those tournaments come around there's a player that will always play well in that tournament but you're never really sure which club he plays for and he doesn't do anything in club football but when it comes to the big tournaments, the big games you're banging a few so if you think back to someone like Joe Johnson, who was didn't really, didn't really pay for the school in any uh, of the football teams, who was never considered for selection. But when it came to house football, he just scored goal after goal after goal in house football, and that was it. Miroslav like, Closer. Exactly. He was the Miroslav Closer of house football. Wouldn't do anything but just turn up for the tournaments, bang in a few. Thanks for coming. See you later. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Joe Goal Machine Johnson, as he came to be known. But <laughs> yeah. did anyone sort of earn a sort of big money move to the Highgate B team or something like that on the back of a good run in house football? Did that ever I happen? The Joe... coaches suddenly took notice of this guy or that guy and suddenly they were in the team they would never have played for before That's I swear that. Joe
4: Johnson did actually, like because obviously he was playing for Kingsgales on the same team as him and everything. And he did actually get a call up. I swear he did. Like I think. Birds or seconds. Like. I think Josh Harris
0: so might have been one of those guys who like used yeah. house football as a springboard to like become a footballer uh, for this.
1: guy. are you saying that Josh Harris is the David Healy of house football, the Northern I, Irish <laughs> superstar
0: yeah. playing for I'll, Leeds United? I'll, I'll go with that.
2: <laughs> I think Josh Harris has just had to be the like most improved player at Highgate over our time there of anyone. I don't know if anyone else has any like.
1: There. Uh, uh, I feel, like Josh, Rose, no? I feel like Adam Rose. I feel like Josh Harris and Adam Rose. They both had very interesting Highgate careers, and I feel I feel we will come back to their stories at other points in the podcast. But <laughs> I will very briefly mention now one final memory, which really only relates to Kaito and me, because it was a it was a year nine game, so we were probably only thirteen when this happened. But our first ever house football game was actually Heathgate Grindle, which was actually a bit of a North London derby. <laughs> Just when because, they all Northlands
2: and Derbys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: that's that's true. Okay, an, an NW NW six versus NW two, Derby or something like that. Sure, um, it's it's, time uh, before, right. But it was um, it was an interesting game because we've talked about penalties with the Queensgate Midgate final, but this Grindle-Heathgate first round game, whatever, it did go to penalties. It even included earlier in the game. A man called Adam Rose, or well, I guess he was a, a young boy at that time who was normally a normal <laughs> goalkeeper um, playing outfield. And because he was so used to being a goalkeeper, he literally picked the ball up or something in the penalty area. And Heath gave, <laughs> what I was in, got a penalty. So I proceeded to take the penalty. Miss score the rebound, but in scoring the rebound, I tore my groin muscle. <laughs> um, it was quite a strange moment, wow. a teen year old. But I think um, I'm right in saying that Kaitel scored a couple of goals in that game. Am I right,
0: Kai? At least one, I think. At that time, I don't know if you and I were particularly well acquainted, and so I do remember the act of you doing that penalty and scoring the rebound and having to go off injured. But I don't know if I knew that, oh, that was my mate Joe who, who did that. But, I mean, um, it was really early days. days. It was it was yeah. weeks of joining the school, yeah. Yeah, it was. And like you said, I definitely I had a good game, scored a few goals. I think the game in the end was a 3-3 three, three draw or something like that that ended up going to penalties and Grindle won. And I think that I was too nervous to take a penalty, despite having already scored a couple goals in the game, which... Is not a surprise, as I mentioned earlier, that I'd missed a penalty. I don't have a great track record with those, so I did not step up. But Grindel pulled through for me and we won. But yeah, it was, um, that was the first taste. That would have been everyone, whatever game we were playing, Joe and I, that was the first round of house football that day for everybody. So that was our, our initiation. It was, and I think just from the stories
1: and the stuff we've spoken about, hopefully, if you didn't know a bit about house football, you now understand just how important it was for us. And I guess it left us with memories that would lead us to talking about house football years years on from when the things happened so that that was our school experience that was house football but um can we
2: just have a word about the kits that we were forced to play these games out in
1: yeah that's Which, talk I, mean, about I don't
2: know who the designed kits. them but it was kind of each house maybe two or three were exempt from this i think kingsgate was one of them john but each house had the kind of kit designed as if the interior of a Battenberg cake for some reason. (laughs) Um, You kind of had two corners of one color and two opposing corners of another color made of very old cotton. This was most professional teams, even most amateur teams were wearing nylon by this point but we still had to kind of sweat it out in these often badly fitted cotton shirts And and the color combinations as well were mostly terrible. Just from a, an aesthetic point of view, Fargate, for example, had a sort of light blue and light green, which is never good. One of the houses was at Westgate with yellow and purple. Absolutely.
0: Westgate yeah. was a uh, pink and black.
2: What was, yeah. what was the lodge? Was it? Was uh,
1: blue, it blue? Yeah. Like, like navy blue and white sleeves, maybe. Or something.
0: Yeah. It did. Grindle was yellow and black.
3: Which some of them were pink? very similar. Some of them were very similar as, well. as well.
0: Was Northgate uh, pink? Yeah, Heathgate yeah. and Fargate were quite similar, weren't they? Well, Heath,
1: Heath, Heathgate was—I—I I'd, I'd describe it as Wickham Wanderers. It was the, <laughs> it was the kind of light blue, dark blue combination. Um, um, and then yeah. Fargate, if I'm correct, was kind of light blue and green. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I
2: think we played each other once and had to wear bibs or something. <laughs> one of them. It was. A-
0: Grindel <laughs> R- was sort of like a Borussia Dortmund kind of like mixture of colours. Um, I think. Instead of Royce, though, you had Rosie. (laughs) Uh. Speaking of Adam Rose and house football and of two of the houses that had some of the worst kits, Northgate and Westgate, Adam managed to get lobbed from the halfway line by both of those teams in house football, once by Ben Farmer when we played Westgate and once by Inigo when we played Northgate. And it's one of those weird, like, trophies that Adam hangs on to, despite the fact that it should be embarrassing to be scored against from the halfway line he's like very you know happy to Do you remember the time i got logged from the you know that's adam but we we those memories he holds them holds them dear
1: as as kai says he's there's there's a lot of stories about a person called adam rose that we'll probably share over the course of this podcast but we we hope to introduce you to
0: adam actually on the podcast at some point yeah we will apologize in advance for you having to go through that but you'll you'll meet him guys
4: He's a legendary keeper. He's like Nigel Martin, you know.
0: Yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a real... Um,
1: interesting choice there. There's a real yeah, yeah. <laughs> story that we will go into detail at some point. But for the time being, I think we'll leave house football there at that point. But we're going to go now to some professional football and to a particular team at a particular time that happened to do quite well. And for some reason, despite the fact we were all in North London, this was happening in Southwest London, we were, we were kind of with them on the journey for a part. And that was Fulham Football Club's team during the season of 2009 to 2010. A season, in fact, where Roy Hodgson's Fulham, as it was then, reached the final of the Europa League. Now, Kai, Kai Tell, or Kai, <laughs> Do you want to kind of explain how this whole Fulham Blazers for goalpost love affair began?
0: Yeah, so as a little bit earlier I was alluding to about mine and Joe's friendship um, and the different stages, you know, after not too long we were very buddy-buddy along with my twin brother Stone, uh, Adam Rose, who you've heard mentioned, a chap called Dom Burstyn and a guy called Ed Woolcock as well, and this was kind of our, our crew. Um, so between a bunch of us, we pitched in one birthday. It was Ed Wilcox's birthday, so as a gift. Uh, we bought a couple of season tickets to Fulham, which at the time was very affordable. I'm assuming can could only be more affordable these days since they've been relegated. But Fulham is an awesome stadium. Uh, Craven Cottage is very compact, has a lot of character. The s- seats that you sit on are like these folding wooden benches. So it's a lot of fun. And it wasn't too far from where we lived. And we just figured Ed's kind of getting into football at this time. He's picked Fulham from seemingly nowhere as a team that he wants to associate with. So let's get behind him and kind of give him like a deep dive into live football culture.
4: Yeah.
0: So, <laughs> so we, we kind of pulled in and got those and figured that, you know, we would make a schedule for two people to go at a time to these games. And as Joe mentioned, it coincided with the season that Roy Hodgson, happened to lead Fulham on a very successful campaign towards the Europa League. I can't remember where the final would have been, so I can't yeah. say where they...
1: The final took place... Here we go. Here we go. I'm not looking on um, Wikipedia right now. It took place in the HSH North Bank Arena in Hamburg.
0: Obviously. Okay. And I think <laughs> that Fulham might have knocked out Hamburg on the way to the...
1: They did. in the... Yeah. In the semi-final, I think. Which, which actually,
0: I didn't even realise what a shock that is, the, the hosts. Um. Yeah, I think you'll remember, guys, that uh, Mladen Petrich played for Hamburg at that time, and I believe he might have ended up playing for Fulham at some point? Did I just make that up? No, no he joins
2: three, three or so true. years after. Okay, cool, so that stands true. But,
0: um, <laughs> yeah, so there's a bunch of memorable games along the way. We also had, they were season tickets, so it wasn't just this Europa League campaign. Plenty of us went to uh, Premier League games, but the uh, the Europa League nights, and they were nights. It's a Thursday night um, at Craven Cottage. Oh, were okay. really kind of like the, the, it the pinnacle. It probably would have been Channel 5 at the time as well, wouldn't it? Yeah,
1: you yeah. could actually
0: see Colin Murray up in the... Oh, well, yeah, of course. Whatever, you know, Fulham, like I said, it's a small <laughs> stadium, so if you turn one way from where we were sitting, I think I was able to, I shouldn't say give Colin Murray... A wave, and I don't know if I could call it abuse either, but I was making fun of him, and I think he looked at me. So, yeah. Uh-huh. Otherwise, did anyone have a specific game along the way that stood out to them? I was at a Shakhtar game that Fulham played, uh, that was kind of kind of a fun one. Zoltan Gera scored. Douglas Costa was playing for Shakhtar at the time, who now plays for Juventus what? and has played for Bayern Munich, and is just like actually a brilliant player. I was think
4: a- I was there. Was William
3: there? We, 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 was we were there or? together. Yeah. I mean, me, Joe, John and Kai. We were there together that night. I think.
1: Really? Oh, yeah? Okay. An important point about Douglas Costa that night. That was actually his
0: debut for Shaq. Oh, yeah, wow. I think, yeah. I think it was. was it? Wow. And I don't know if what he scored the or if he didn't assist, but he had a good game. Otherwise, like I said, Zoltan Gira scored for Fulham, and I don't remember who else, but I think Fulham might have won 2-1. Zamora? 2-0. Oh. You said Zamora, yeah, probably. Zamora was on form. He was on
4: form then. Are you talking
0: about
1: the Shakhtar game? Yeah. It was, I believe it was 2-1, but I can consult my good friend Wikipedia right now. Um, And Wikipedia will tell me that the score (laughs) for that game was 2-1. Zoltan (laughs) Pura put Fulham ahead in the third minute before good old Luis Adriano equalised in the 32nd minute and then, yeah, Bobby Zamora bangs in the winner in the 63rd minute. So, yeah, it was a 2-1 win um, for Fulham on that night. Fantastic.
0: And Bobby Zamora was part of, he was probably the most noteworthy part of this bold triumvirate of players that Fulham had at the time, being him, Danny Murphy and Paul Konchesky. And yeah. these were just three bold men living their best lives and winning games to get to
4: the Europa League final. <laughs> but Dempsey was a skinhead as well, wasn't well, he? Uh, yeah,
0: he was a bit of a skinhead. He was a bit.
1: Dempsey also um, scored an absolutely outrageous lobby. Lobby? A lobby. <laughs> 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 I <don't> not <know> <laughs> But Dempsey scored a lob against Juventus. And If you haven't seen it, go on YouTube and type in Fulham Juventus, yeah. and you will see an insane lob by Clint Dempsey. It really was. I crazy. was behind
4: the goal. I was behind the goal when it happens. I was with Stephen Allen down with me.
1: I'm pretty Who
0: sure... Else?
4: I think other people were there.
0: Ed Walker, I think Cannavaro was in that defence, possibly. Who? Or am I wrong about that? Fabian Cannavaro, was he playing? Yeah, yeah, he played. He played. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, this, the, he's, 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 is he the only <laughs> defender in the his, in history to have won the Ballon d'Or?
1: He's definitely the only one in recent memory.
0: Because yeah, so In theory, this guy was one of the best defenders who's ever lived. And Clint Dempsey just... Oof, <laughs> <laughs> ran and that night. And I seem to remember as well, I don't know who the goalkeeper was for Juventus, but it was not Gianluigi Buffon. Oh, I could
1: find out for you, Keitel. It you could know? have
2: been Abbiati, who ended it up at one, the Milan. I think
0: Abbiati, I think was an someone, Milan goalkeeper. It, whoever it, this guy after
2: was. After Juventus.
0: kimenti uh, Who Gimenti? Well, is kimenti The point is, whoever that kimenti guy is, he just literally looked like an Italian granddad. Like, it was,
2: he looked. Like <laughs> he probably was.
0: was. He probably yeah. was an Italian granddad. Like I, I remember feeling bad for him when Dempsey scored the lob because I was like, well, he's an old man. How is he supposed to save that? Um, but anyway.
1: But yeah, but basically we went to a load of these games. Then another one, we've spoken about Shakhtar and Juventus. Another one, which was actually, I think, a, a good memory because it was probably the one where it was the most people in our year at school there was Fulham v Roma, which was a, it was a group stage game apparently on the 22nd of October. And it was a big deal for Fulham that because I think Roma at the time was still kind of seen as being quite a big team. I know they are a big team, but I think at the time they, they had the likes of Totti and people like that there. And Hangelland put them one nil up and then Roma sadly equalised in the 93rd minute. But I actually remember a picture on Facebook, I don't know if anyone else remembers this, of John Walters sitting next to this bloke who must have been some mm. Fulham fan that had been going for years. And it was... Like, what, John, what, what was the photo?
4: Is that this really... <laughs> uh, basically, basically, it was obviously this, like, mad old, really old season ticket holder, like, mad Fulham fan, got all the Fulham shirts, all the gear. And I, I, my ticket happened to be next to him. And throughout the whole game, I was chatting my ear off. Like, the whole game. And Steve-O was next to me. So Steve-O was taking the fist out of me, saying he's my mate, like, like what you do, you know what I mean, and yeah, friends. that's how that photo. Yeah, that's that's what was going on at the you know. In between, it was in full flow. Oh, yeah. It was all,
3: friends, friends, match.
4: <laughs> so yeah, I got. Uh, he just kept on mumbling stuff to me, and I, and I and I didn't know what he was saying. Like most of the time, I was trying to watch the match as well. It was just. I just stressful... remember
1: that. I remember there being a picture from you sitting next to this guy, which maybe we can. On our social media pages, we can unearth this picture and post it or something. Oh uh, god! Uh, but I, it, yeah, I, I just remember that story. And I reckon there was about fifteen of us there, or maybe even more. It was a yeah. big contingent of people um, at Fulham versus Roma, which is kind of funny because there was one bloke in our year who was a Fulham fan, <laughs> and whilst I love I loved Errol Walcott, but was he was he a big football fan? I, I don't know if we just kind of yeah. used Fulham to to go to more football games. <laughs> I don't know.
4: I think he. I, I see him. Um, I see him nowadays, and he still goes to Fulham
2: games.
1: All, All right. right. When the there's best. tickets available, nice or
0: whatever. to that story.
2: I think if your friends buy you season tickets for football, you kind of have a moral duty to become a football fan for their sakes.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think that's fair. Definitely. Yeah, but it's it's good to know that he's still there supporting Tom Kearney, Mitrovic...
4: <laughs> and whoever they have nowadays.
1: Ryan
0: Sesignon's younger brother. Oh yeah! Oh no, he's twin twin brother actually, Stephen. Oh, Stephen. Yeah. Oh. Well, one of them's going to be younger, so I might still be right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like but a few it. minutes.
1: <laughs> yeah, that that Fulham team is in a weird way quite an iconic team. I think that's I think that's safe to say they got to a Europa League final. We all happened to sort of be a part of their journey, and yeah, it um. It was, a, it was a fun time. And yeah, it's just, a, it's just a shame they didn't really win the Europa League final, I guess. Sadly, a bit like Middlesbrough a few years before them, they, they lost in the Europa League final. So, they're, they're yeah. than that.
0: But, um, the goal scorers were Sergio Aguero and Diego Forlan, or it might have been a Forlan brace. But one way or another, the team that they were up against was a very good team.
1: It was a good team. And I can, I can reveal it was, in fact, a Diego Forlan brace. Um, but yeah, it was, um, it was a good team. We're going to bring things back to 2020 now, and back to cup football in 2020, or I should really say cup football in 2021, because Euro 2020 has unfortunately been postponed, much like everything else in the world, but I'm just quite keen to hear from everybody. One, do England have a chance of bringing football home? Is football coming home in 2021? And if they don't have a chance, who are the teams we should be watching out for? Because still not that far away, but I have a feeling it's going to be a good Euro. So yeah, how about Yoni? How, how about you start on this? Do you think England are going to win the Euros in, well, I hope a year or so's time?
2: I don't think they will. I don't know how much of that is informed by never having seen England win a tournament. And the kind of bias that creates something's much more difficult to imagine if you've never seen it happen before but they they, they have potentially the most exciting squads young squads in my lifetime of watching england anyway in a way that's different to the golden generation for example where you know the, the players were pretty well established at that point and everyone knew their strengths and that was where the confidence in the team came from but also People were very aware of the flaws, the weaknesses, the kind of incompatibilities structurally of the team, why Gerard and Lampard couldn't play together, why kind of Fabio Capello or sven Jura and Ericsson were obsessed with playing 4-4-2 all of the time when football seems to be going in a different direction, at club level anyway. So who knows? And maybe the fact that it's spread over Europe and at least some of the latter stages are at Wembley, if England are able to reach that, then you can only imagine... The scenes, as they say, I mean, they were kind of crazy enough for winning and got to the semi-final in Russia. Um, Exactly how much beer throwing will be sanitary and considered (laughs) not a public offense by this time next year, it remains to be seen. But in terms of other teams, I mean, I guess one of them I think could easily contend, which is Italy who has a 100% record in qualification and maybe for the last decade or so now haven't really had a team that's matched up to the teams of the like, previous 20, 30, 40 years, um, but have a group of really exciting young midfielders, which is where their quality has been lacking recently, coming through, you know, like Nico Borella, who's at Inter Milan, Sandro Tonali, who anyone who's played this year's football manager um, will have enjoyed somewhat, or Federico Chiesa, who's um, a kind of very exciting young wide player. Um, but also, and they haven't qualified yet, but if they do win their playoff, I'm really interested to see this Norway team who have the potentially very exciting combination of Martin Odegaard with Haaland up front, who, if his career continues on this trajectory, will likely explode at the Euros as well. And then supplemented by kind of good players like Joshua King or um, Son. Sand- uh, what's his name? Sander Berger, plays for Sheffield United. Um, not so sure on who, how their sort of fence is made up, to be honest. But they're my, should they qualify, sort of dark horses, one to watch. I'll caveat that by saying that I thought Austria would reach the semi-finals of the last year and they were very easily eliminated <laughs> in the group stages. So I wouldn't necessarily trust this.
3: I was going to say that on a purely selfish level. it was quite good that this, years, Euros have been moved to another year because we had so many injuries up front. It was sort of getting to the point where Joe Johnson might have been in line for a call-up. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to see that. Because we really didn't have anyone going forward. But you know that if he'd been put in, he would have got a goal or two, that's for sure. I'll never forget when I was... I can't remember what was happening, but I just looked over at the game that he was playing in and he sly tackled the goalkeeper to score but i'm sure that he started his slide tackle from the edge of the area and that is exactly the kind of commitment that an england centre forward needs to have
0: that's like the iconic like michael jordan dunk from like the free throw line but it's like joe johnson just two-footing a goalkeeper <laughs> <laughs> Um beyond Joe Johnson possibly firing England to Euro Cup success do you have any other <laughs> opinions on um on the tournament billy I, I do see that you have your mouth full so just take
3: uh, No not really I I did have a few tickets for this summer's a few of the games this summer so I'm a bit gutted that I won't be going to any of those but I mean I was just thinking about it on a purely selfish level I was really looking forward to England doing quite well cuz We have got a really exciting team at the moment. And I think the idea of hosting games all across Europe is really exciting as well because it really, because if you think back to sort of somewhere like Russia or Brazil, the venues were four and five hours apart by playing. So it just makes a lot more sense to have it sort of across Europe, really get everyone involved, bring everyone together. So when you're in 2020, which I think, even though it's going to take place in, 2021 its official name is still going to be euro 2020 i think it's some kind of branding thing by uefa so <laughs> i don't euro want to make any more
4: plastic merchandise bill
3: <laughs> they've printed yeah. it all already they've got to use it yeah. oh. you know, it's yeah. <laughs> but i think it'll be really exciting when it does happen um and i'm really looking forward to hopefully getting a bit of traveling in next summer when it's safe to do so Amen.
4: Bill, what's your opinion on Jack Grealish? Maybe it might have been quite exciting to see someone like him turn out at a tournament like the Euros, maybe.
3: I think Jack Grealish is just sort of one of those players that can do it for a small team and he looks good in unthreatening areas, but he'll never be good enough to play for England. And that's just the way it is, I'm afraid. Maybe,
0: Maybe like a bit better than Ross Barkley?
3: They're quite similar in a, in a weird kind of way. They pick up the ball in positions that aren't really very dangerous. So they drop <laughs> dropped and then they don't do much with it. But to the untrained eye, they might appear good players. But if you look a little bit closer, they're not very effective.
0: To so Billy's trained eye.
3: <laughs>
1: so Billy's I,
0: not a fan
3: of Jack Grealish.
1: There's something I like about Jack Grealish. Well, well anyway, he, had a, he, had a bit of, he did a bit of a naughty thing last week where... He, like every other footballer, had sort of done the appeal for everyone to stay indoors, self isolate, which is a sensible message at this time. But then, <laughs> after doing so, you know, he then went and had a bit of a joyride around Birmingham and sort of smashed his 4x4 car into some other car and nothing the center of town. And then decided to leave his car um, there. He just kind of did a bit of a runner. But the thing that I loved was a few days later, when obviously everybody knew it was Grealish's car, he did an apology video. And I loved that even in this time of self-isolation, when we're all at home, and I mean, even like on this podcast, a few of us are wearing football shirts now. Grealish had still put all the gel in his hair. His hair was still looking as exactly as it always did. And I, I was even thinking, I bet he was even wearing those with these small shin pads that he seems to always wear too, which <laughs> seems to be another Jack Grealish
4: thing. The weird um, thing about this story is that um, he, was, he was with Tony Capaldi, who's, I don't know if you guys know Tony Capaldi, he's like a lower league footballer, like legend. He used to play experience. for Cardiff, didn't they? he? Over for Cardiff, Leeds, he's like a lower league journeyman, and he was out drinking with Jack Grealish, who, who must be like 20 years younger than Tony Capaldi. <laughs> like, what... <laughs> What brought those two together? Oh, it was so odd.
3: Well No, I saw that I saw that too, and I did think it was a bit of a curious friendship. But you see it all the time, like at the end of a Premier League game where there's two players that are like high fiving and hugging and swapping shirts. And you just think, <laughs> How are you friends? It doesn't make any sense. It
1: is it is a funny one, but I'm happy that Billy was just speaking then because as Billy has said already in this podcast, Billy is a is a Sunderland fan. It sounds like his uncle wouldn't have had it any other way. And in fairness to Billy, he has remained a Sunderland fan since since those early days. I imagine if you're a fan of football, when you're listening to this, um, well, anyway, at the time of recording, it's about a week since series two of Sunderland Till I Die was released on Netflix. Um, Actually, on Sunderland Till I Die, Sunderland, unfortunately, especially in Billy's case, Actually, they lost in two cup finals, one of them being the Checker Trade Trophy against Portsmouth, the trophy which is competed by teams in the third and fourth tier of English football. But they also lost in the playoff final of League One. So that was the game where, if you win it, you go up to the championship. Um, So, Billy, given that this is all about cup football, and given that – well, I imagine you might have been at these games. One, what do you think about the whole Sunderland Netflix series – we're now Sunderland a bit of a, a household name, probably around the world. But two, what's, what's going to happen to Sunderland now? I think we said earlier, I don't think they're even looking like they're going to get promoted soon. We, what's it like to be a Sunderland fan? At the moment?
3: It's a bit of a weird one, to be honest, because a lot of people seem to know who we are, even though they might not actually be massive football fans or fans of the English game. I had a message earlier today from a friend in America who said that, he remembers me being a Sunderland fan was I still supporting them and would I recommend the series to him because he's heard that it's a must watch no, for a Netflix documentary it. series have yeah.
1: we have we had because um, we are we are recording this on Zoom this podcast are we having a technical difficulty here because all I can see from <laughs> Billy is just a zoomed in face <laughs> I just I've just got a black screen
2: yeah. I've got a black. No, suit in the face as well. Oh,
1: this is so <laughs> unfortunate. This is the moment he was going to tell us all about Sunderland and his his friend in America and everything, and he's gone. it right? <laughs> yeah. we, we'll get him back. We'll get him back. But in the end, <laughs> in the in the meantime, we will be talking about something else completely different, and that that is actually about Arsenal, a topic which I don't tend to like talking about. But I'm going to pass over to three Arsenal fans that are still on the call. Yoni, John and Keitel. And and obviously it's all about cup trophies or cup football. And Arsenal, as I hate to say, have won a few trophies in the last few years. So guys, tell me, would you have swapped winning the FA Cup a few times in the last few years for more Champions League football? Does the cup football success matter more? As an Arsenal fan who, when you were younger, you were used to winning everything and having some of the best teams that ever played ha- what, what does <laughs> football mean to you anymore and i say that very begrudgingly um, but yeah what, what does cup football mean to you
0: in my opinion when you're asking about swapping trophies for champions league football etc etc it's hard because as a fan i don't think you can swap that moment of the team lifting the trophy or of for instance of the first fa cup win in arsenal's more recent history being the turnaround against Hull, we were two 0 down, and no, I don't. If you, a comeback back like that in any game is is fun, but to have done it in a cup final, like I wouldn't have traded that for anything, especially as it was the first trophy we'd won in I think a decade. Especially, you know, like the Santi Cazorla free kick, and anyway, so that one for sure, I would say there's no way, and I don't even remember if we were in the Champions League at that time. But even if we weren't, I wouldn't have swapped that. The Villa one. Maybe, because we literally just beat them like 4 0 in the final or something like that. Like, maybe I would have swapped that. And I think they might have gotten relegated that season as well, Aston Villa. So, like, wasn't our biggest achievement. The following might have been a couple of years later when we beat Chelsea. I think Alex Oxlade Chamberlain was a left wing back, and Rob Holding was playing, and Mertesacker was, Sacker the was the playing. And I think-
1: it was the end of the Wenger era, and yeah. the likes of Oxlade Chamberlain, who clearly is a talented player. Yeah. I don't know if you you'll know better, maybe he didn't see eye to eye with Wenger, but he was play, yeah, he was playing in positions that now and I
0: suppose then seemed quite odd. Yeah, the fact that we with that jumbled together team, not as far as talent, but as far as positionally and with injuries on top of it, the fact that we were able to beat Chelsea in that game, I think was quite special. So I wouldn't have traded those. I think bigger picture, Champions League football's kind of. Bread and butter for being a big team in a European league, and the fact that Arsenal haven't had that football for a few years now has been a massive, massive uh, issue as a fan personally, and I think for the club financially. And clout is a is a, a word that you know you hear these days, and I think that Arsenal doesn't carry the same clout that it used to since Wenger or, or since the Champions League days. So um, we need to get back and. I would at this point take a top four finish over a trophy. You would. yeah.
1: Yoni, John, do you agree? Do you disagree?
2: I Uh. agree in the sense that I wouldn't swap them. I think how I feel about cup football or those FA Cup wins, a lot of it comes down to the timing of them. Um, So we were lucky, as has been referenced, to grow up at a time where Basically, in my first three years of supporting Arsenal, I saw them lift more major trophies than most football fans anywhere will see their trophy lift in their lifetime. Like Same. that is a very lucky thing to have happened. But I was 10. And when you're 10, you think that good things last forever. And that there's no conceivable way that Arsenal would then go nine years without winning a trophy. And nine years in the like, context of things is not a particularly long time. But the nine years between the ages of ten and nineteen is there's a lot that happens. You, You know, your development from boy to adult is kind of it spans those years, and so does your relationship with football. They were very important in terms of you know building friendships. A lot of friendships that I had at school before, since like were mostly based on football, and so when Arsenal do eventually as Kai says, come back against Hull City in the final, the appreciation of what that moment means, the appreciation of what it means for me as a fan um, to see my team win a cup again, and to be able to also enjoy that moment with other people who this has been a foundation of our relationship is like very meaningful. It's also important to consider that finishing the top four at Finishing in the top four at the time that Arsenal won those cups is not the same as finishing in the top four now. So because Arsenal were doing it pretty regularly then, but not winning any trophies, that affects my perception of what it means to win a trophy because, oh, that's the thing Arsenal should be doing, but everyone is saying we can't do. And suddenly Arsenal win a trophy. Whereas now, with you, when you have kind of big six instead of the top four or the big four, or whatever it was then, sort of finishing in the top four and all the financial... The, the financial bonuses that, that gives your team and the importance that gives the team in terms of maintaining its status as an elite club it's it's changed what it means as well. But back then I wouldn't, I wouldn't have swapped them and I don't think I would in hindsight either, even if it might have set Arsenal up for a more long-term success.
0: Yeah, Joe, can we flip this question on you as a Spurs fan who has had the opposite trajectory in terms of being formerly a Europa League club and currently a Champions League team? Would you swap having had the opportunity to be a Champions League team or a trophy? I'm thinking back to that first season when Gareth Bale was ripping up Inter Milan at the San Siro. You know, I'm talking about like Spurs, you know, this is like the beginning of taking the Champions League seriously, blah, blah, blah. Would you have missed out on that for an FA Cup at the time?
1: So my favourite memories of being a Tottenham fan are probably Champions League memories. Like you said, it probably, it goes back to Bale destroying Micon, taxi for Mikeon. I mean, that was an incredible night at White Hart Lane. Us beating AC Milan, Crouch scoring the goal in the San Siro. That was great. And then fast forward more recently, those crazy games against Man City. I mean, I will never forget the moment where Sterling scores the winner and I'm in the pub and I've had far too much to drink and I'm on the verge of tears, <laughs> and I'm literally going nuts and then some random man next to me goes, wait, wait, I think they're disallowing it. And I suddenly have a massive go at him and go like, fuck off, it's over. <laughs> it's <laughs> over. And only only to see that the goal had been disallowed, which was great. To then the, um, the Ajax semi-final where... Um, Maura scores the hat-trick obviously and my dad and I and a few other people actually my girlfriend was there and a few other people in this the sports bar and grill in Farringdon the moment oh. when Mora scores the final goal it was just insane it was amazing but and, I was, and also actually I was lucky I, I was at the final in Madrid I mean lucky, unlucky depends how you look at it but um, yeah these, these were all incredible memories even, even just getting to the Champions League final was brilliant but at the end of the day Tottenham haven't won a trophy since I was 14 years old. Since the first year of being at school with you guys, that was the last time we won a trophy. So obviously, especially because in the last few years we've been good, I would have loved for Pochettino's team to be remembered with winning a trophy of some sort. Ideally, it would have been that Champions League last year. But who knows? Who knows if this is right or wrong? But I probably wouldn't swap it for an FA Cup because some of those Champions League memories from last year and from that kind of first Champions League. Champions League campaign were amazing. But at the end of the day, if Spurs don't win a trophy in the next year or so, I mean, we're, we're already a bit of a laughing stock, but we will continue to be even more of a laughing stock, which, which is, a very, is a big shame in a time when Arsenal aren't very good. I, w- I want to enjoy Arsenal not being good, but it's tough when we are also not very good.
0: But I think um, when Jose Mourinho is your manager, it's even easier for us to enjoy Spurs not being very good right now.
4: Do you think you guys rested on your laurels a bit, in a weird way, like rested on your achievements that you've done so far, as a kind of like, or believing the hype, believing uh, I d- hype?
1: I don't know about that. I think it all kind of felt like it was all we'd been on this journey with Pochettino. We'd we'd obviously we had the whole thing. We finished third in a two-horse race, blah blah blah. Oh. Then we finished second the year after that. It felt like last year when we got to the Champions League final, it felt, to me, it felt a bit like 2012 where Chelsea won it and they weren't that good, but they sort of, it kind of was destined to be their year. I naively and stupidly thought that the same was happening for Tottenham (laughs) last year. And and of course... But got very close. But in fairness to the Tottenham team, I think Pochettino took them as far as they could. I mean, we literally got to the the Champions League final. But then... um, Trippier lost his man in the first minute and Sissoko put his hand up and yeah, it was all over. So I I will always look back on that game and think, what if? But in fairness to the Tottenham team over the last few years, I think they exceeded our expectations and now our expectations are far too high than they should be, which is why I fear the next
0: (laughs) few years could be quite grim (laughs) um, for for Tottenham. Well, I think... And just to weigh in on the Spurs Champions League run in particular this past year, I think that, we, I know this isn't a phrase that Spurs fans like, but it was all a bit Spursy, and it was reminiscent just the trajectory you guys have been on to where Arsenal were coming from, moving to the Emirates. You guys have that brand new stadium and I think that that, When you've got such an iconic atmosphere as White Hart Lane, for instance, and then you transition to a new stadium, I think has been something to get to grips with. You've seen it with Arsenal. You've seen it with like West Ham at the Olympic Stadium. I think the fact that you were even allowed to play games at Wembley for like half a season and then halfway through move to the stadium, I thought was a strange thing to start off with. And so thought that I couldn't have been happier when it all you know imploded at the very end for you guys of course and then like to add to the spursiness is like sissoko handballing within like the first two minutes of the final but on top of that what i will say just so that i don't sound like someone who's trying to what is it schadenfreuder when you take pleasure in other people's uh whatever it is misery but what i will say is that as an arsenal fan watching the second leg of the ajax game spurs when lucas mora scored that third goal i did not celebrate but it was as close to having decent feelings towards Spurs that I've ever come in my life just really? that, I mean that moment was this is just, quite a shocking moment oh, I didn't expect you this to
1: this
2: I mean oh my God. No,
0: it's, it's, it's just like oh. literally that was the last week of the game like it doesn't matter who yeah, the team
2: remember it well it was <laughs> a,
0: it got my adrenaline going it definitely had like the hairs on the back of my neck standing up when that happened like I said I was not trying to be like wait, Spurs like yeah but it was it was a special moment in football
1: great i mean if we take anything out of this podcast, it's that Keitel enjoyed more as the goal. And I'm happy about that. It's great. And I oh, think incredible. on a Tottenham point of view, we'll end talking about spells on that because I think that's a great moment to end on. But Billy, back to the Macams and back <laughs> to League One and back to Charlie Metham and back oh, yeah. to um, What's-His-Face, O'Neill and all of that. So you, I think when we were previously talking about this, your American friend had sort of said, should I watch the Sunderland programme? But w- what is it like to support a team that, you know, they were in the Premier League a few years ago. You're now, after some unfortunate seasons, you're in League One. You're being, your whole season's being recorded. You're getting to finals, but you're losing them. What What is it like to be a Sunderland?
3: It's, it's quite a challenging time. I'm not going to lie. I think one of the most difficult things about going down to League One is sometimes at work someone says, who are Sunderland playing this weekend and I have absolutely no idea I really don't know who we're playing this weekend I'm more likely to know who Man United are playing or who Chelsea are playing who Arsenal are playing I'm more interested in the Premier League games um, and then I look oh, here cool. oh top fan you are oh this weekend we're, oh, the, I look at the league tape of oh, the fixtures and I see oh today we're playing against Wickham and I don't know if they're top of the league or if they're bottom of the league I just think we're Sunderland. we should be beating everyone no matter no matter who no matter who we're playing, so it's it's certainly challenging, and I'm enjoying the second series of the Netflix documentary much more than the first one. because I never actually finished the first one, um, <laughs> it was it was so it was so depressing. I knew what had happened. I'd read a lot about it in the papers, and then I can't remember if I said this before, but I was in a in a pub in Sunderland uh, last year, and two people who were working on the documentary were in the pub. And they wanted everyone in the pub to know that they were working on the documentary. They were so loud. They were just showing off. They were bragging. They just want everyone to know that they were really that they thought they were really important. And after being near these two guys in the pub all night, I just thought, I don't really want to watch the rest of the series now because I know that these two guys are working on it. I didn't like them. <laughs> um, so, but the, I'm four episodes into the new series and it is more enjoyable. It is a bit... It's, a bit, it's still a bit raw because... A second season in League One is challenging on so many levels, and also I was there when we lost two finals last year. I was at Wembley both times, and that was that was very that was very difficult to contend with. Mainly because the what do they call called, Checker Trade Trophy final? I I really wasn't that bothered about. I wasn't that bothered about it at all until I was there, we and I tra- thought. Trafalgar
1: Square. You know when all the Sunderland fans were going nuts at Trafalgar Square? Did you make it? To- mm
3: no i didn't go i can't remember why i had something happening that night but well the first one was the big one the second one everyone had heard how good the first one was but the, it's never as good yeah, the yeah. second time around uh but no I, I i didn't go but i was there at wembley both times and i really didn't think that the a trade trophy mattered until i was actually there and i thought no at the end of the day we're in league one now this is our level we're here because we deserve to be at this level. A trophy's a trophy, let's just enjoy it. But it was also just about the club starting to feel united again, where we take 40,000 people to Wembley and it was a nice it was a good day out. It was something the club hadn't had in a long, long time and something that it really, really needed as well.
2: Why well, do you think Sunderland agreed or would agree to have that documentary you made about them? I mean, probably money. Probably we were absolutely skin and we needed
3: everything, everything we could get our hands on. But I mean Netflix have handled it quite well, but they have taken the piss a little bit in that I think the when they announced that the se- first series was being filmed and it was going to come out, they announced it on April Fool's Day last year or the year before, and then they released the first series on Halloween, and then for the second series, they released the second series on April Fool's Day. So, I mean, they are... Two, uh, 365 days in the year and they've picked those two days so they've really tried to take the piss out of us with it. But
0: I, I didn't... personally think this has all been building since the first goal movie and I think <laughs> the people at Sunderland Football Club said Santiago Munez at Newcastle United and they wanted a piece of the action so, <laughs> so they wanted to get one over on their, uh, their neighbours by showing everyone how shit they were. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you have a, with your talent scout eyes, Billy, an opinion on the ceiling that um, Josh Madger could could reach? I know he's playing for Bordeaux these days in, in France, but he, from the footage I've seen of the beginning half of the the Sunderland till I Die season two, and just from knowing about him, he's a pretty good player. Like, what do you think he's got in his future? Yeah, yeah.
3: Really. Oh, I do I mean, very talented, very talented player in, in that half season. He had for us. He was he was head and shoulders above everyone else, and he was still our top scorer by a long way, even though he left in January last season. Um, so, but it's always good to see sort of young English players going abroad. Although it is quite sad that they left. They left Sundin to do so. I think. Well, now he's actually playing for Nigeria, so he's not really English anymore. But at the time, he was he was uh, an English talent, I suppose, in many senses. But he's gone to Nigeria, played for Nigeria now. But I'm always excited and happy when Young talented players go abroad because I think more players that come through in England should go and play abroad and they'll become better players for it. Um, but it was a shame that he left uh, to go overseas after basically four months of being a first team player. That was a real shame that to leave after basically four months of being a first team footballer and then deciding that he felt he was better than us.
0: And what about like the I think Will Grigg, who seems to be a larger than life character in the sense that the name. Sorry, the song about him is like more popular than he is good at football. Um, I uh,
3: yeah, I've been at a couple of Sunderland games where he has not, he's not, he, yeah, he's not the, fa- he's not a fan favourite at Sunderland. Let's put it that way. He, he's pretty work shy. He's a proper, proper striker in that he won't move unless it's inside the penalty box. Um, so he's not massively popular with Sunderland fans right now. But for anyone who has seen the documentary, they'll know all about. How that transfer came about basically where Wigan just kept upping the price and our owner who in my opinion comes across as very well-intentioned and a nice man but just painfully naive and just like a child he sees something and he has to get it and...
1: yeah, I agree I agree with that and I, I mean I think it's safe to say that probably out of Stuart Donald the owner and then the the other director Charlie Mevin, whatever he's called Charlie Mevin has kind of become the the star of the show in a kind of David Brent-esque way because well kind of if David Brent had gone to Eton and was a massive twat that would be Charlie mevin <laughs> uh, um but yeah I, I I agree with you in the fact that Stuart Donald seems to have good intentions but probably doesn't have the the nouse. Charlie Mevin just seems to be it and a bit of an unpleasant bloke or maybe he was just he again he didn't he didn't quite understand how he was coming across on that on that documentary but I think it's safe to say that for a football fan watching it I mean we're lucky we've got a Sundham fan on the podcast right now but it's worth a watch it's more painful for Billion than it is for others but it's yeah it's interesting to see I mean i I think on that point, I mean, we've spoken about house football, we've spoken about Fulham FC from their Europa League final campaign, and we've just spoken about more, more kind of cup football in today's era. I think really that's the time where we're going to um, wrap up the podcast for today. So um, for everybody, that is the first episode of Blazers for Goalposts. We do have a few social media accounts where you're going to be able to interact with us. So um, both um, are, well, actually our Facebook, Twitter and Instagram page, the username is at Blazers for Goalposts. So please do comment um, on that. And also for the time being, I imagine most of the people listening probably know us already. So if you have any questions, just, you know, DM us, send it to our Facebook. Um, But guys, have you enjoyed being in this podcast? I should mention we we lost Archie Patchell on the way he had to head off. So thanks a lot Archie. But um to the the people that are still here, have you enjoyed it? Are you, are you going to come back for episode 2? Um yeah, wh- wh- how how is um how-
4: I hope everyone's back for episode 2, Joe. Oh, everyone, wow. including the the millions of listeners as well. Oh, yeah. I'm sure we'll be I back.
0: Forget. Yeah, it's um initial foray into this kind of remotely communal podcast that we're attempting. I am very happy that we have yeah shared this time here this morning for me, this evening for you guys. Look forward to doing it again and look forward to having a variety of guests, variety of topics, and hopefully in the not too distant future, some more relevant football to speak of in our day-to-day lives. Until then, I think hoping that everyone stays healthy. Remember to wash your hands and not to touch your face. I'll throw it off to Joe if you have any last words.
1: Well, I think all that's left to say is thank you for listening to Blazers for Goalposts. And don't worry, we'll be back for more episodes. So thank you very much and see you next time. Yeah, Yeah. bye guys. Bye.